Turn with me once again this morning, if you would, to the book of James. The book of James, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with the insert in your bulletin. For those of you that are visiting this morning, we're so glad that you're here. We hope that you'll linger a little bit after our service around a cup of coffee, give us an opportunity to talk with you. But we've been studying the book of James for the first uh, few weeks of fall. I think this is the fourth week now in this letter that James, the brother of Jesus, wrote to the first century church. And James has been answering such questions as how do we respond to trials in our lives? Where do we look to for wisdom when those hard times, when those trials confront us? How do we view our possessions and the resulting societal status and identity that that inevitably we are tempted to, to put ourselves in as a result of how much money is in our bank account? And how do we view God through all of this. Who is God? What is He doing? James has been seeking to answer some of these questions, and these, brothers and sisters, are the questions of real life. This is everyday life. This isn't like ethereal pie-in-the-sky Christianity or spirituality. This is rubber meets the road. Monday through Friday, nine to five. There's one thing, to hear these things And it's another thing to really have heard these things. Hopefully through some of the intentionality of the liturgy, you've kind of seen where we're headed this morning as we open up God's Word together. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25, a little bigger chunk of Scripture this morning to look at. If you would, stand As I read God's Word, in honor of His Word, listen as I read James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please look at me when I'm talking to you. I don't say that to you this morning, although you all did look when I said that. 
If I had a nickel for every time as a parent I said that phrase, I'd be a rich man. Kids, if you had a nickel for every time you've heard parents say that phrase, please look at me when I'm talking to you. Why do your parents say that? Why do they insist that you look at them when you're getting instructions, when you're receiving admonishment from mom or dad? Why do so many conversations like that end with this question from mom or dad? Do you understand what I've said? Do you understand what I'm telling you? See, it's because they know that you can hear without really listening. In fact, I get criticized for this quite a bit, I must say, by my kids when they request something from me. I confess I'm not very good, like their mom, like a lot of you moms in here, I'm not good at multitasking. And so I get distracted by something I do, I'm doing, and I might hear the sounds that my kids are making, but it's kind of like the Charlie Brown, wah, 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 wah. They know I'm not listening because I don't respond to the request that they've made. James warns us this morning that we need to be careful that we don't handle God's truth in the same way. You see, the word of truth, that phrase that he brought up in verse 18, is still, it's still on the tip of his tongue as we jump back into the letter. That word of truth, God's revelation to us, is now going to demand something from us. And so as we meditate on these verses for the next few minutes, I want to do so around two fundamental truths for the Christian life. And the first one is this, the word must find root in our hearts. The word must find root in our hearts. Now, this is a plea of love on behalf of James the just. It's a plea because he says, know this. He's, it's like, listen up, pay attention, get out your highlighter. This is important. Know this, beloved brothers and sisters. I'm about to say something hard, but I love you. And this is for your good. These are the demands of the gospel. We'll return to this concept in a few minutes, but I want us to see that James is not about to merely put some yoke on them, to put some burden on them. Do this, don't do that. He is instructing them. He's about to instruct them about what the Father gives for their life, to bring them life, not to beat them down. You see, the goal is to receive with meekness the implanted word, verse 21. That's where we're headed. Or to say it another way, the word must find root in our hearts. But how do we get there? How do we, as I pray sometimes, till the soil of our hearts? Thinking about that image that Jesus gives in the gospel of the sower sowing seed. It's, it's, a, it's an image that was brought to mind in our confession this morning. Well, he tells us it begins by being quick to hear, slow to speak, 
and slow to become angry. I want to work through those phrases, but when James exhorts us, I don't think James is just speaking about our relationships with one another. In fact, I think he's speaking about them, and I think he's also speaking concurrently about our relationship to the Lord. These things are intertwined. You see, taken as a whole, being slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. We take these three things as a whole and they reveal a trust in God in the midst of our circumstances and a love for others that the Father is after in His children. Obedience to these things, think of it this way, creates a a heart stance. Right? You all know what a stance is, right? You get it at the ready it creates a heart stance that, fret, that serves as freshly plowed and fertilized and ready soil to receive the word. Quick to hear and slow to speak. Simply put, James is first calling the church to be those in our relationships with people to be people of deference. To be people of deference. What I mean by that, kids, is to defer to someone else. To think of the other person more highly than you think of you. Because when we don't want to hear from others, when we're quick to spout off our own opinions, what are those things a symptom of? They're a symptom of pride. Pride in our hearts. And the scriptures, you know, are far from silent on this. James has been sometimes called New Testament wisdom literature, much like the book of Proverbs is Old Testament wisdom literature. Let's just open up the book of Proverbs. Proverbs ten nineteen: when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 13, 3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 18, 13, if anyone gives an answer before he hears, it is to his folly and to his shame. Proverbs 29, 20, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. I've skipped a bunch of others I could have read. One commentator, and this is so good, I'm a firm believer, as, as uh, one of my favorite authors says, that we are changed not necessarily by books, not necessarily by chapters, but we are changed by sentences. So when you're reading, when you're seeking something in a book, particularly a book where you're seeking to know more about the Lord or to know more what he calls you to, you're looking for sentences that changes you. This is a sentence that will change you. One commentator said this, the gospel is the death of the primacy of our own opinions. I love that. The gospel is the death of the primacy of our own opinions. And James says it here. And he goes on and he says, when we don't get our way, when our opinions aren't heeded, when our plans aren't going according to our plans, we get angry. And we always think our anger is justified, but nine times out of ten, our anger is born from pride, not from righteousness. 
And this kind of posture towards others and towards God does not produce the righteousness of God, is what James says. Now, when you think of that, let me be clear, he is not talking about justification. He's not talking about being righteous before God, as if you need to get all your junk together before you can be right with God. No, when he says the righteousness of God, he's saying the the kind of life that God requires and wants of his people. And so all of these things, being quick to speak, slow to hear, quick to anger, I've said them all opposite there, all those three things are blockers to the kind of behavior, to the kind of life Not only that God desires that brings about the righteousness of God, but the kind of ear that listens to God, that listens to His Word. And remember, it's not a yoke. It's not a burden. It's the kind of life that gives life. It's the kind of life that you were meant to live, that you were created to live. He uses this language of... uh, Shedding filthy garments, James says, put away, get rid of them by the strength of the Spirit that lives inside of you, and look to the meekness, the patience, the obedience of Jesus as you receive the Word. Let me put it in as as common vernacular as I can. I'm not trying to be irreverent, but the Lord says, you talk too much. You like to hear yourself rather than listening to others. You fly off the handle as if you were the center of attention. You need to be quiet. You need to listen. You need to listen to me. You need to listen to my word. This will save your soul. And James is not talking so much about eternal salvation, though that's part of it. He's talking about what the confession speaks of of, of Adam and Eve in the garden. They were holy and they were happy. God wants to make you holy and He wants to make you whole. This is where true life is found, through a humility that shows itself in our relationships with people and in our relationship with the Word of God. The Word must find root in your hearts. That's the first truth. We had this funny thing going on in our family this summer when we were um, traveling. Uh, we were in Missoula, Montana, and people are friendly in Montana. It's kind of cool. Uh, they say hi to you when you walk by them on the streets. It's a new thing. It doesn't happen here. Um, but we would pass these people, and it happened a couple times, and we, could, we had to start laughing. I would say, hello. I'd say, hello there. And they'd say, fine, how are you? And I'd be walking by, and I'd say, I didn't ask you how you were, but thanks for telling me you're fine. And it happened, after it happened the, the second or the third time, we just, we just started laughing as a family and kind of trying then to get people to say the wrong thing as we greeted them. And it was an illustrator that, frankly, we don't listen well. We're so, we're so concerned about what we're going to say that we don't listen to what really has been said. This is true with God, too. We have our own opinions, and they often aren't very good, and the Lord says, listen to me. 
Paul commended the believers in Thessalonica. He says, we, the apostles, we thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. And Luke, in the book of Acts, a book that we've studied recently, Luke knew of the Thessalonians, but he takes the Thessalonians and adds another. He commends the Bereans even further. He says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And it kind of makes you wonder, what is being spoken of by the Seattle church in the realms of heaven? The posture begins right here, right now, in this place. Ecclesiastes 5 verses 1 through 3 gives this warning, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. And Jesus says in Luke 8, be careful. Consider carefully how you listen. So brothers and sisters of Ascension, this is, this is the encouragement to you this morning. I know that I can be boring. Believe me, I know. I know that you're tired, but if we, are, if we really believe that God is meeting us here, that His Spirit is speaking to us through His Word and through one another, then we need to be attentive. And this is not a passive thing. This is not a passive posture, but it's an active, intentional posture to the Word of God. The word must find root in our hearts. It begins here, and it continues Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday. And you find out whether or not the word has found fruit in, or excuse me, root in your lives. I just stole my own thunder there. By what happens when you walk out of here, and that's the second truth. The word must bear fruit in our lives. Not only the word must find root in our hearts, but the word must bear fruit in our lives. Verses 22 through 25. What is the proof, kids, that your parents, excuse me, that you have heard what your parents said? What's the proof for them? You, you do it, right? You do what they said and then they knew they know that you have heard what they said to you. Sometimes in our circles, sometimes in our circles, we don't like this emphasis on just do it. Because after all, it's been done. Right? Jesus said it's finished. And I indeed proclaim, and I, and I hope and pray, and I think that the entirety of this service has proclaimed to you that Jesus has done all that you need to be right with God. 
But remember, we're not talking about justification here, about being right with God. We are talking about a faith that is alive, a faith that is responding, a faith that has works. And of course, those of you who know the book of James know that's exactly where James is headed. He's going to camp out on what faith and works is like, what the relationship between them is. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And so here, three times in just these verses that we've read, James the just, his brother, says, be doers, verse 22. If you're not a doer, verse 23, a doer who acts, verse 25. You see, there's a deception here at work, possibly. We can deceive ourselves by coming here each week Working through the liturgy, hearing Nate drone on for about 30 minutes, and thinking that we have heard God's Word, that we have done all that is asked of us. And we can do the same thing each morning as we get up. We read a chapter quickly as we fly out the door and don't give it another thought and just live our lives like everybody else. The root must turn in to fruit. The hearing must become doing. The Word must bring about change in our lives. And in order to illustrate this, James brings about this picture, this illustration that is, is vivid for many of us. The absurdity of looking at yourself in a mirror and then immediately forgetting what you just looked at. Now, in James' day, a mirror was not what we know as mirrors. James had just a polished piece of metal. Not everyone had one. You kind of tried to see the reflection of your face. You couldn't see it like you could see your face today. But for us, we have not only mirrors, we have selfie cameras, we have videos, and all these things show us how we really are. And that is the point of James's comparison. Like a mirror, God's Word exposes us. It shows us us. And frankly, we don't like that. I don't like it at least not in my sinful humanity. But James says we need to be those who look, who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty and persevere. And the Greek word that's used here is the same word that's used of Peter on resurrection morning as he looked into the empty tomb. How do you think he looked into the empty tomb? Quick glance, oh, ho, okay, ho-hum. Or did he look with wide-eyed wonder and intent? You see, if God's Word is like a mirror, when things are good, think about how you handle mirrors. When things are good, you take a quick glance, yep, looking good, you move on. But if the doctor tells you that you have to be on the lookout for cancer spots on your face, now suddenly the mirror becomes your best friend. And so you go out and you buy one of those magnifying mirrors that you look into them and your nose looks huge and you can see all the pores in your face and you can see all the errant hairs and you study it and you look at it in order that you might know what you ought to do. 
This is almost as if saying, that's how you handle God's Word. Not a quick glance out the door. One of those poor, revealing, magnifying mirrors. Looking intently and persevering. He says, look into the perfect law. I just want to speak about that word, the law, because that law word, eh, it rubs against some of us a little bit. We don't like the law. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, haven't read those things in years, right? Do this, don't do that. We don't like rules. We're people of the New Testament. We only think of the law in terms of being fulfilled by Jesus. And yet he says the law of liberty. You know, the Enlightenment, because we are post-Enlightenment people, the Enlightenment has taught us to think that true freedom for us is the absence of all restrictions, of all requirements. But that's wrong. True freedom is being guided, being released to live as you were intended to live. A fish isn't free if he's out of the water. He's dead. He needs the confounds of the water in order to find life, in order to flourish. And so through the controls of the law, through the submission to the law, that is where we find freedom. And David knew that. The David, the man after God's own heart, says in Psalm 119, 32, I will run in the way of your commandments, for you have set my heart free. In the same psalm, verse 45, I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. That is the blessing of the Word finding root and bearing fruit in our lives. We are set free to live as we are intended to live. Let me close this real practically. For those of you who have been around for a while, you remember me buying a few of these books and setting them on the back of the table. It's a little booklet called Listen Up, a practical guide to listening to sermons. It's an interesting little book. There's actually two copies on the table back there. I found them, and you can grab one and take it home if you want to read it. Let me just read some of the things it says in this book about our listening, about the Word finding root and, taking f- and bearing fruit in our lives. When you come into this place, expect God to speak. That means we don't casually listen. We intentionally listen. We prayerfully listen. As I have prayed for my speaking As you have prayed for my speaking, you also pray for your listening. As I pray for my listening. Admit that God knows better than you. Get ready to be offended sometimes. Whether it's here this morning, whether it's another morning through my words, whether it's when you're sitting at your kitchen table. God's word offends. And work at not forgetting 
what was read, what was sung, what was spoken of here each Lord's Day morning. Think about it as you leave. Find a way to chew on it, whether individually through notes you've taken, whether as a family through discussion, whether through fellowship with the family of God in community groups. That's why we do what we do. Because we want the word to find root in our hearts and we want it to bear fruit in our lives. A question to ask, and I've, I've thrown this question out, is how are you different this year? How are you more like Christ this year than you were last year? Now, it doesn't mean you're going to perfectly become a saint. You're going to constantly, you're going to take two steps forward and three steps back and one step forward and two steps back, but God's Word ought to be changing us. What am I going to do differently? What am I going to, not just what am I going to think differently, but how am I going to live differently as a result of that Word? What changes am I going to make in my day and my week? This can be hard. It is hard. But this is what James is saying. That the Word of God finds root in your hearts, that it, bear, that it might bear fruit in your lives. This, brothers and sisters, is life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these words from your servant James, and we confess with all the voices, with all the advice, with all the, the noise that we hear day in and day out, it is hard for us to intentionally gaze and look intently into the mirror of God's Word that we might see who we are, that we might see who you are, and that we might respond in kind. Oh, Father, I pray that you would work in us that which is pleasing to you as you continue to make us blameless, conforming us to the image of Christ for that great day when you will appear in the clouds and return to take us to yourself. Oh, Father, bless us. Bless this word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.